It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at BC Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to Busey Money Talk. I'm your host, Thaddeus Yasunaga, a portfolio manager with uh, Busey Wealth Management. Today we have uh, two guests for the show, two return guests. So Arian Arslani, portfolio manager and a chartered financial analyst charter holder. Morning, Arian. And then we also have uh, Spencer Fields, a financial advisor with Busey Investment Services. And he is a certified financial planner. Uh, it's going to join us in the second half of the show to talk about um, financial planning and financial plans. Yeah, thanks for having me on today, Thaddeus. So, uh, you know, earlier this year, I, I was, uh, I think in January, I thought we were going to go without any snow for the year. <laughs> and then, of course, we got, uh, got uh, a nice, uh, nice amount of snow here. And then it looks like, you know, we had to brave some, some weather here again today with... Uh, I think sleet and freezing rain and we were snow. not the lucky few that got to fly down to Florida. Yeah, for, for so February. yeah, you have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of guests. I'm guest hosting today because our uh, our usual hosts are down in sunny Florida uh, here at the moment. But uh, but let's get right into it. I know stock markets have been very volatile, so we have uh, Arian here to to give us uh, an update on the markets. Uh, so Aaron, you know what what is going on with um, with the stock market? Yeah, that is, uh, that's absolutely right. We're seeing some volatility in, in the equity market. Uh, when you look at some of the large uh, cap names benchmarked by the S&P 500, we're seeing year-to-date returns uh, almost negative 6% coming at negative uh, 5.94%. And I think, yeah, we're down a little bit even more today, right? That's, that, that's right. Yeah, we're, we're down a little bit more. Uh, but we're also seeing uh, some, some uh, correction territory for the NASDAQ. Uh, that's uh, down about 10.8%, uh, so a little bit above 10%. Wow. wow. And then, uh, so this, this NASDAQ, what, you know, I guess what segments of the market are doing, doing good or, or bad or sort of driving that performance? I know you mentioned the NASDAQ being in a correction. Is there, is there certain types of companies that are doing poorly right now? Yeah, so you could think of growth companies in general, some of the information technology companies that have done you know, really well the past couple of years uh, to start the year are co uh, cooling off a little bit uh, with uh, some negative returns. So when you mention growth, maybe you know, for our listeners, um, you know, what, what specifically do you mean by, by like a growth company? And then I guess what, what is a non-growth company? Yeah, so typically uh, a growth company would be a company whose sales are growing, you know, 10, 20, 30 percent. These are companies that, you know, when you look at the profitability or the earnings, the expectations are for earnings to grow in, you know, two or three, four years from now. Um, in contrast to that, you have uh, value companies who would not have, would, would likely not experience the same uh, sales growth. So they might be growing sales about, you know, two or three percent or flat sales growth. But they are currently, uh, you know, typically have have good earnings as, um, and and good profitability. Oh, so these so these growth companies, you know, it's, they sound good, right? I mean, so high high expectations in the future, and I and it sounds like investors maybe tend to pay to pay more for those types of companies. 
than they would for maybe a company that has lower growth prospects. Yes, yes, that's uh, exactly right. The, the multiples you would pay for a growth company would be much higher than you would pay, say, for a, uh, a value company. That's, that's, that's correct. <clears throat> so I guess in terms of the, the, the recent market performance that we're seeing here, is that so have one of those groups been doing particularly good versus the other? Yeah, we've seen some strong performance uh, in the energy stocks. So a name like ExxonMobil is up roughly around uh, 30%. It's benefited from higher, higher oil prices. Whereas, again, a growth company such as Netflix is down about 35% uh, year-to-date uh, be- because of some of the you know, missed and subscribers they've had. Very good. So, so it sounds like these value stocks holding up here year-to-date, maybe down slightly. But really, most of the most of the losses that we're seeing, uh, at least so far this year, seem to be driven by some of those growth growth oriented companies. Is I know we're in earnings season. How how uh, how have earnings been? I know we like to to talk about fundamentals on the show. That's right. So we are in earnings seasons. Roughly half of the companies have reported uh, earnings so far. Uh, of those companies that have reported, uh, the earnings surprises are coming up at around seven percent. Uh, so the companies have reported and the earnings have been above estimates uh, by about 7%. Now that looks, you know, and, and it is quite good, but in the past quarters we've seen earnings surprises a, a higher than that, around 10 to 15%. So while it's good, earnings surprises are coming on the positive side, it's a little bit lower than what we'd experience in prior quarters. But some of the positives are on the sales surprises. So revenue uh, so far of the companies that reported is up, three uh, percent above what est- uh, analysts have a- estimated, and I guess you know that's that's certainly welcome news, right? Because I think these earnings are for the fourth quarter of last year, and that is when we saw you know a big uptick in cases uh, of COVID. So I guess it is notable that earnings have held up uh, here despite um, you know some economic concerns, particularly around the pandemic. But um, you know any any surprises? I know it, it seemed like we were seeing big new big moves in certain names around some of these earnings releases. Yeah, so you think of Facebook now, Meta, Meta that that reported uh, that, that was down quite a bit, and again a name like like Netflix, uh, which recently reported as well, was uh, was was down uh, quite a bit as well, and and you know they really missed on the subscriber forecast. So their own forecast was for net subscribers of 8.5 million. It actually came in about 8.28 million, which doesn't seem quite large, but like we talked about, these high growth companies, uh, really the expectations are they continue to grow really high. And so even a a slight miss could cause the stock to uh, go down quite a bit. Interesting. So uh, let's maybe shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, the bond market. So you know, it looks like we're not just seeing losses here in in the stock market, but you know, fixed incomes also down, which which seems a little unusual. I, you know, I sort of thought that uh, generally when stocks do bad, you know, mo- most of the time the bond portfolio holds up pretty well, but looks like that isn't the case uh, so far this year. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point, Thaddeus. You're you're exactly right. Uh, we're seeing not only equity markets and stock uh, markets kind of cool off this year, but we're also seeing the same case in the bond market. So if you look at you know core bonds, uh, benchmark by uh, Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Benchmark, which is a, you know, a list of high-quality investment-grade broad uh, bonds, that's down about uh, 4%. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I mean, for bonds are supposed to be stable, right? 
Yep, yep, they are. But um, you know, the thing to remember is that uh, interest rates and bond prices are inversely related. So as we're seeing interest rates rise up, that's impacting bonds, generally uh, speaking. And is that is that what we're seeing? Are yields increasing significantly? Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the five-year yield, uh, government uh, treasuries, we started out the year, the five-year was at 1.2%, and now it's increased to 1.8%. Wow. Uh, yeah. Similarly, if you look at the 10-year, it started out the year at 1.5%, and now it's uh, about 2%. So we're definitely seeing higher rates, and that's uh, you know impacting bond returns and bond prices. So what what is driving these big these big jumping jumping yields? I, I know, the, you know the the Federal Reserve, which controls the the short term interest rates. I think those are expected to rise here, you know, fairly shortly, right? In in March and and some more interest rate hikes later on in the years. But you know, I guess w- what is going on that that we're having this you know real big jumping jumping yields here over such a short period of time. I think that that's exactly right. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking at a period where we're seeing higher inflation. So just a week ago, we got our uh, CPI uh, numbers. Um, the, the survey expectations for economists was that that number was going to come in at 7.3%. Um, the prior number was about 7%. And actually, the re- CPI inflation data came in uh, at 7.5%. So we're continuing to see... Uh, increase in inflation, and the thought around that would be the Federal Reserve would look to increase interest uh, interest rates uh, faster, and that that is uh, kind of the reason why we're seeing bond uh, prices come down and interest rates go up. So maybe let's let's dig into that inflation a little bit more. So you say you're saying prices have increased seven seven percent. Is that is that right? Did I hear you right? Yep, yep. Actually, came in at seven point five percent. That's that's right. And that's over what a, a year long? That that's not one month, right? No, so, year over year, year over year. Inflation increased seven percent. So is this? You know, I d- I did recently look at my home heating bill, and it was uh, you know very very high, <laughs> uh, much higher than I'm used to seeing. Is it is it really just concentrated in these in the in energy prices? I know gas is has been been increasing in prices, or is it uh, or you know what is what is really driving that inflation? Yeah, so uh, to your point, in, in January we saw uh, utility uh, gas services increase 4.2%. But this uh, n- number that we got is based on, broadly speaking, many uh, segments, be it energy, uh, be it foods, uh, you know, used cars. It's across uh, the board we're seeing higher, higher inflation. Yeah, so, so I guess what you're saying is it really isn't just that, that energy component necessarily, but it maybe more broad based food food as well i mean I, we do have a table here right and it looks like basically every category is up you that's know, right the only thing that really didn't increase a lot is medical care on a year over year basis that's the lowest at 1.1 or 1.4% and then you know energy commodities looks like are up 30% year over year is that is that right that is right and and we're also seeing again Year-over-year uh, year increases in uh, used used cars and trucks. That's showing around 40% increase. Um, so we're we're definitely seeing uh, you know inflation numbers uh, at levels we haven't seen in decades. Yeah, and some of this the some that I've been hearing about more recently is around you know is 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 uh, home prices you know part of this. I know we're seeing uh, you know a lot of demand, particularly for single-family homes. 
in, in certain markets, you, you hear about bidding wars and things like that. Is that a big part of inflation or this measure? Uh, yes, it, it's, it, it is. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, shelter, it came in year over year at 4.4%, but we're seeing home prices increase. Uh, you know, currently we don't have the, the supply that's necessary, and you're seeing some of these uh, bidding wars you're talking about in, in, the, in the whole uh, housing sector. And then, uh, you know, of course, I think, you know, the labor market has been strong too as well, right? And we're seeing wage increases there. But, you know, why, why, I mean, it seems like this has been going on a little bit or for some time here. You know, why, why is this impacting or why do you think this is impacting interest rates, you know, particularly, you know, here to start the year so uh, significantly? Yeah, so I think the, you know, the Federal Reserve was, you know, talking about um, inflation being a little bit higher for a short period of time. Now, as we go on throughout the year, inflation has surprised the upside, you know, more or less each time. And so the thought process of the market is, is do we have a good control uh, with inflation? And as it keeps being reported, it keeps surprising to the upside. So we're, we're seeing that uh, the Fed might shift to from its uh, traditional uh, role of making sure that we're having high growth and maximum employment to really focusing more on inflation. And the way that they would likely do that is, as you alluded to earlier, in March, increasing interest rates uh, and, and it, whether they increase 25 basis points or 50 basis points is really the you know the main question at this point because you know the market does expect uh, higher rates as a way to kind of keep inflation down uh, and, and 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 keep it down going forward. So yeah, it sounds like um, you know inflation really is driving a lot of uh, a lot of the the fixed income performance. You know another thing that I know and we only have a a little bit here before the break, but you know Russia certainly has been in the news a lot. I guess, you know, why, why is that significant? It seems to be like when we have, you know, sort of headlines around Russia that, you know, the market seems to take a, take a dip. And then I think yesterday we got some relief because it sounded like those tensions might be easing. But, you know, why is that so significant to the market? Yeah, so, of course, the market doesn't like uncertainty. And if you see something like a conflict between Russia and Ukraine, it would be, uh, it would have, you know, really impact on, the, the commodities and energy. If you look at co- countries like Germany, uh, Netherlands, uh, Belgium, they really have a large percentage of their imports comes from uh, Russia. So for in case of if, uh, uh, Germany, it's around 30%. So if, if you do see a conflict around there, you would see some sanctions, and that might cause you know energy crisis in Europe, which would be definitely significant in, in the markets, and that's that's what the markets are are trying to estimate, and and that's something that some of the uncertainties that the market does not like. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, thank you, Arian. That was very good. You know, you know, not 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 good to see uh, you know declines <laughs> in the market here or in the fixed income side, uh, but you know, certainly appreciate that update and uh, and the color. Uh, we'll uh, take a short break here, and we'll be back and talk to uh, Spencer Fields uh, about uh, financial planning and the value of a financial plan. Take charge of the years ahead with a smart, sound investment strategy and business succession plan. UC Bank's business and wealth management experts help you envision your best future with powerful insights and proven strategies. Building business and growing wealth since 1868. UC Bank. Proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini, member FDIC. You've set your financial goals. One kid plans to go Big Ten, 
the other ivy. Your bucket list includes seaside sunrises and sunsets on the slopes, or perhaps a second home away from it all. Busey Bank can help develop the right investment strategy to take charge of the years ahead. Busey Bank, building business, growing wealth since 1868, proud to be the official bank of the Fighting Illini, member FDIC. Well, welcome back. Uh, I am your host. You are listening to Busey Money Talk. I am your host, uh, Thaddeus Yasunaga. Uh, and for the second half of the show, we have here uh, Spencer Fields. Uh, he's a financial advisor with Busey Investment Services, and he's also a certified financial planner. And, uh, you know, great to have you on the show. I know I know you were a recent guest. I believe you were on our, our last show. But, you know, really want to talk again about um, financial planning and and the value of those uh, financial plans. So, so maybe to to start off, you know, what what is financial planning, and and you know, maybe how does it work in the uh, investment process? You know, I know we spend a lot of time on the show talking about markets and and uh, you know, stock and bond returns, but you know, how 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 does financial planning fit into that? Absolutely, yeah. And, and thanks again for having me back on, Thaddeus. I'm uh, happy to be here, and as listeners to the show, we'll we'll find out. I love nothing more than talking about financial planning. So, um, it, it that's a great question. And, and Aaron and I talked about this a little bit last month about where financial planning factors into that big asset allocation decision that we have with our clients. And um, I'm sure all you listening out there are having with your financial advisors as well. Uh, we spend so much time talking about asset allocation because it's it's kind of our thought that. Um, you know, it's it's tough, almost impossible for any individual or, or group of individuals to pick uh, particular stocks that are going to beat benchmarks or just outperform the market broadly um, and, and try and time the market by pulling in, pulling out. Uh, so we'd like to talk about asset allocation, um, you know, just to try and find an overarching, broad, long-term strategy that our clients are going to be comfortable not only writing up when the markets are going up, but sticking with in periods like Arian was just covering, you know, we've seen through the first couple months of the year when the market's going down. Um, and so I guess to kind of talk about what asset allocation is yeah, really yeah. briefly. Um, so kind of at a high level, what we're talking about is the proportion of your account that is stocks and exposed to the equity markets versus the, the portion that's bonds or, or fixed income. Um, so if any of you have sat down and talked with your advisor here at, at Busey or, uh, or at another firm and you hear them throw out terms like 60-40, 70-30, 80-20. Yeah, what does that mean? So we get that question a lot. Um, really, again, so that is asset allocation. That's what they're talking about. That that ratio there of numbers is the percentage of your account that's going to be stocks or equities and the percentage that's going to be fixed income or bonds. Um, so, for instance, your 80-20 portfolio, that first number is going to be equity. So they're talking about about 80% in equity. The remaining 20% then is going to be exposed to to the bond market. And, yeah, and I and I – I know there's some like generic advice, right? So younger people like like maybe myself ourselves <laughs> tend to own more stocks, right? Or or are recommended to own more stocks. And then perhaps as we get closer to retirement, uh, I think the target date fund maybe in a, in a four white K plan, you know, kind of automatically changes that allocation. Is that the, is that the case? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the most um, widely quoted rule of thumb, and it's it's not something we use, and, and we'll get into why exactly that's the case, but is you take your age, you subtract that from 100, and that's the percentage of your account that should be in uh, in fixed income. Um, so if you are a 30-year-old who's investing, 
yeah. uh, or I'm sorry, that should be in the equity market. If you're a 30 year old investing for the long term, you take 100 minus 30, 70% of your portfolio should be in stocks. And then as you get closer to that magic 100 mark, you slowly shift your account from equities to, to fixed income. Um, it's a rule of thumb for a reason, and and we don't make our decisions. <laughs> off yeah, it of doesn't. That. It sounds pretty, maybe too simplified, right? I guess exactly. maybe isn't that part of the financial planning process to really hone in on that and uh, and maybe see what uh, changes need to be made for a different person's uh, individual situation. It is, and you hit the key word there. It's individual. Um, you know, we could take people who fall in the same demographic. You know. 55 years old, X number of income, the same number of kids, just because you match up all these factors that a lot of firms are going to use to come up with an asset allocation recommendation doesn't mean that you have the same goals, time frames, risk tolerance as someone else who falls into that that kind of same bucket, if you will. So really how we approach it at Busey, it's, it's two-factored. So the first is going to be a static questionnaire that if you have an account here with UC Wealth Management, I'm sure you're familiar, we go through the investment policy questionnaire almost annually with our clients. Um, really, that's helpful in determining the maximum amount of risk that a client is comfortable taking mm-hmm. is the objective there. The other piece, and really where I like to hone in on the appropriate recommendation, is going to be using the financial plan where we talk in depth about your goals, your time frame. Um, your cash inflows and outflows, as well as the assets that you have to invest. And we put together some long-term projections. So when you build these financial plans, is it, is it really just about the investments in the, in the stocks and bonds, or do you guys look at other, other factors or other sources of income? Uh, you know, I know Social Security is, is probably something a lot of people use for retirement. Is that, is that factor in to those recommendations that you're making, or...? It in does. that planning process? Yeah, and that's key. So obviously us being here based out of Champaign-Urbana, um, it, it's a university town. The pension is a, a dying animal, but but there's a lot of university folks who still have access to that pension. Um, you know, their situation with that regular steady source of increasing income uh, may be supplemented by Social Security is different from a lot of folks who may just be on Social Security or or just have a, a bucket of assets that they're counting on to get them through retirement. So financial planning is going to take into consideration consideration, all those different sources of income, all of your expenses, and then how I like to use it to help inform that asset allocation decision is what is the minimum amount of return that we need to help you achieve all of your goals? Yeah. Um, and as Arian alluded to, kind of risk and return go hand in hand. Um, so if we can solve for that, that minimum return that has a corresponding minimum risk level, yeah. And that's what we use to set that lower bound. So the questionnaire gives us the, the upper bound of how much risk is a client comfortable taking. Mm-hmm. The financial plan will give us the lower bound of how much risk do we need to, uh, you know, to take to have the client achieve their goals. And as long as we can find a solution, and that's when I turn to yourself and Arian and the investment team, as long as we can come up with a solution that puts the risk level in between those two bounds, um, I- I'm happy as an advisor knowing that I'm taking enough risk in the client's accounts to help them achieve their goals. And it helps the client sleep easy at night knowing that they're taking less risk than they're comfortable with. No, that that sounds great. But, you know, I guess one one question I have is when we, you know, we're we're seeing um, some market activity like we are right now, or, you know, maybe, um, you know, March of 2020, when, um, you know, we had a lot of uncertainty around the pandemic, or that first was coming out. And then I can't help but, you know, remember I was much younger, but, you know, the financial crisis I know had a pretty big impact. I guess what what 
does does do these plans take into consideration these you know sort of volatile markets maybe that we're seeing right now or yeah. that we've certainly seen in the past? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I'm glad that you alluded to the uh, yeah 2008-2009 Great Recession because that seems to be with the clients I work with that is the most you know there's that recency bias of, of that's what happened most recently and and that's the biggest fear that they have is a repeat of um, the 2008-2009 Great Recession. So one of the great things that we have the ability to do with a financial plan is run some of these stress tests. Um, we use uh, what's known as a Monte Carlo, and we won't bore you listeners with what exactly goes into a Monte Carlo, but at a high level, it's designed to simulate different market conditions. Um, you know, prolonged periods of poor market performance, prolonged periods of, of higher than expected market performance, and then how that would impact your probability of a successful retirement. Um, within that kind of simulation, one of the tests that I always run with people when they get close to retirement is what if we had a 2008-2009 market event at the worst possible time, which for most folks is when they retire, the income goes away, and all of a sudden they're, they're forced to live off of that investment account. Um, that yeah. allows us to have a plan in place should we have an event like that? We've, we've already got kind of predetermined paths that we need to follow if, if we do need to change anything. Um, or in the, in the case of, uh, I'm working with some clients right now who, who I just met with earlier this week, and um, we, we threw that stress test at them to, yeah. to see what it would look like. And um, it, it showed that they were able to withstand um, a, a loss on par with the Great Recession. Um, and as long as the market recovered, somewhat in line with, with what it did at that point, they would be just fine. Um, so it gives them, I think, that extra peace, you know, peace of mind doesn't take sleep away from them. And most importantly, it helps them stay invested because uh, we all know that the worst thing you can do when the market starts to go down is, is panic and, and lock in those losses by pulling your money out of the market. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like with that, I think you called it a stress test where it's sort of able to kind of maybe knowing in advance what, you know, that maybe the drawdown that we're seeing right now in, in both stock and bond markets, what impact that would have. And, um, you know, hopefully, I guess, would bring some comfort, right, to, to, to know that, you know, we, we sort of anticipate this, right? We expect markets to, to occasionally go down, uh, you know, to have drawdowns, particularly, I think, the stock market is, <laughs> is very well known for, for, uh, for changing in value quite a bit. Um, um, year over year, are there are there other things? Because you know, I I you know I I'm you know concerned about you know living a long time. When we think about you know other expenses, do you guys do you guys look at things like long term care and and other aspects of of um, you know the financial impact of those types of things? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that's driven by individual concerns that clients have. You know, as an advisor, I've got my handful of stress tests that I like to run for everyone. Um, you know, whether that's higher inflation, this great recession scenario, or or something like a long term care event towards the end of uh, of folks' lives. Um, that's certainly something that that we run for. I would say the majority of our clients is that possibility of of staying in some sort of an assisted living facility uh, towards the end of uh, end of an individual's life. And again, I think you hit it nail on the head there again about the comfort level. If nothing else, I think going through the financial planning process, there's always going to be tweaks, uh, I think, that we can come back to clients with that are going to improve their current situation. Uh, but even in the odd instance that that wouldn't be the case, I think just the peace of mind 
um, of knowing that you've had professionals kind of throw everything but the kitchen sink at your plan. Um, And it still looks like, you know, you're in a good position to be able to achieve all of your financial goals. Uh, That's invaluable. Yeah, I know. know And some of the plans that I've seen, it's really nice. I mean, they see even year by year sort of what what your budget i mean it looks mm-hmm. like a budget almost right where you sort of know where um even your taxes will be or at least some estimate and then i think you mentioned yeah the 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 simulations are really interesting to see you know there is quite a bit of range in outcomes uh, I think when you're making those projections over the long term. Absolutely. And and I would say this is a good time, and I always like to mention it, that uh, a financial plan is not a one-and-done process. It's a fantastic um, way to, to kind of come up with recommendations, get a feel of, of where you are, but ultimately it's a snapshot in time, uh, and then we're, we're putting projections on the future on, on top of that. Uh, we tell our clients at least every two years to come back in and get a refresher in case we've got you know macroeconomic events like you're going on right now that are going to change your situation, uh, job changes, new kids, grandkids, uh, any number of things that can change your plan. Um, it, it's important to to remember that this is a living, breathing document that needs to be updated and, and taken care of periodically. Well, that's very good. Um, so, Spencer, where, you know, we got a few seconds here. Where, what, where can people get a plan and is where, to, how, how, how can they, um, you know, go about uh, getting one of these plans? Absolutely. So uh, any of you who are in our markets, you can go into your local BUC branch and uh, ask to speak with a member of the financial planning team, and, and we'll be able to get you in touch with, with someone. You do not necessarily need to be a BUC wealth management client to um, to receive our financial planning services. We offer those on a fee basis uh, for members of the public if they're interested in, in going through the process. Well, great. You've been listening to BUC Money Talk, News Radio 1400 WDWS.